This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. This week on the Mandatory Samson Podcast, we're talking about Saudi Arabia's potential connection to 9-11, plus the death penalty, a pretty big 2016 update, got some emails at the end. Pretty good, right, Joe? Fantastic. All right, so stick around. Joe says it's fantastic. You know what time it is. It's the Mandatory Samson Podcast time. I probably should have thought about that one before I started, but it doesn't matter. Joey, how you doing there, buddy? I'm doing all right. The clock is ticking. Yeah. What does that mean? It's been eight seconds. What am I (laughs) going too long right now? Welcome to the program, everyone. Uh, We got a nice slate of topics to run down today. Like what? Well, how about a new dubious temperature record? Dubious doobie doobie doo Pfizer and the death penalty France's right to disconnect that's an interesting conversation we're gonna have Joe I think we're gonna have some fun with that one Saudi Arabia and 9-11 very interesting um it's gonna be something that's gonna come up a lot in the next weeks months and years probably uh but we're gonna get into that a little bit later in the program that's like our main story here what are you pointing at what is the matter well, usually we do the 50 seconds and then a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just finish my what, what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do the Saudi Arabia 9-11 thing and then a pretty big 2016 update. Plus, we're going to close the show by opening up our mailbag and answer some listener questions at the end of the program. That 2016 update, by the way, mm-hmm. is going to include a very interesting almost apology from Nate Silver at 538 talking about why they got things wrong about Trump in their models and their forecasting. To your point, Joey, mm-hmm. usually uh, we rec- we film this podcast and we stream live, but we're not doing that because we're, we're changing some things over here at, at Labs and we're changing our strategy a little bit. So we're not oh. streaming or recording the video today. Um, more updates to come. I'll let the Samsonites know what we are doing. It's nice teaser. Some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But usually we start at one minute on our clock that we're looking at to know how long we're going. But we didn't have to do that today, Joe, because there was not we were not syncing up the audio with the videos. It didn't matter. Yeah. I didn't get the email on that. I, well, you were sitting here three seconds ago and I told Evan uh, how this was going to go. Evan, uh, right? I mean, am I, am I crazy? No, this is going great. Oh, okay. Thank <laughs> you. Um, so anyway, yeah. So don't worry about it, Joe. I, I know you're a creature of habit, but we're good. We're in good shape. I like being videotaped. Yeah, I'm telling you, the little sneak peek. We're going to... Okay. Uh, there will be video. Just you relax, all right? Yes. Um, I actually had a little note here. It says we won't be streaming anymore, but the video will remain, but it's going to take a little while, okay? Yeah. All right. You ready to get into some stuff here? Let's do it. Did you answer comments, by the way, on the SoundCloud this week? I did not, no. I don't know if anybody said anything to you, but... I did notice that you did it last week or, yes, or whatever. Uh, yes, so good. I'm proud of you. Just stay on that. The Samsonites love you. People comment. Oh, love you, Joey. Great comment. Uh-huh. You know, they do. Well, and thank you. Nobodies, of course. That's your whole team. All right. You ready to get into something? Yeah. New global temperature record for the third straight month. A monthly temperature record has been broken by the largest margin ever. April, like February and March before it, has sounded the alarms for a quote climate 
emergency. It is now seven straight months of at least one degree Celsius above the 1951 to 1980 average temperature. Um, and this all but assures that 2016 will be the hottest year on record, likely by the largest margin ever. That's a little, little troubling. Well, here's, and this is a bit of a tease for the, uh, the 2016 update later. We got a little Donald Trump update and something to do with his energy policy. Mm-hmm. It's, it should be troubling, but it doesn't. I mean, we've gone through the poll numbers. Americans are paying more attention to this stuff, and I think they are becoming more aware of the fact that we are affecting the climate, which is good. But you read these articles, and every month we're smashing temperature records, and it's the hottest record on year. And the previous record was only 2010. So, you know, clearly there's a, a trend upward in the global temperature. Um, Again, it's going to be too late at a certain point. This article that I read about the new, you know, about the April temperature record, Mm -hmm. one of the scientists was like, two degrees Celsius is a crisis point. Like, and we really can't go above that. We're halfway there. Well, he's saying, well, there's a difference between global actual temperature being two degrees Celsius above, like raising the global temperature two degrees above the average all the time, like hitting that plateau and staying above it is an incredible danger zone. These numbers are a degree or degree and a half above the average per month. Okay. Okay. So we're getting there. It's not quite halfway there, but we're almost there. And again, you can't wait until it gets there and they're like, all right, now we're going to do something about this because it takes the same way it took, you know, a hundred years or 50 years to get to this point. It's going to take quite a while to reverse the changes. And that's really, you know, what we've been talking about a lot, right? I think I made the Titanic metaphor. Like you see the iceberg, you can start turning, but there's a part of the ship that is going to get nicked by that iceberg. And you know, it's going to be bad. Yeah. It's going to be a real bad situation. You're going to be taking on water quite literally. So yeah, I, I like to bring this up because it's something that should be in the forefront of the conversation and it should be present in people's minds that this is a real problem. And when you find ways and policies to address that, you have to support those policies because, you know, otherwise it's going to be a real crisis situation. The big, the biggest issue is that these low lying countries, Oh, look at this. <laughs> Not got, doing the podcast. This goddamn uh, G chat that I get from Costabile. He says, "Hey man, you guys streaming today? We're not." Uh, <laughs> and you'll find that out later when we're uh, when he listens back. Um, oh, that's great. Anyway, what I was saying though is like the low lying countries are going to be gone. They're not going to be able to survive there because of the rising tides. And then what do you do with those people? The amount of displacement and discomfort that's going to be caused by that is is catastrophic. It's overwhelming. So, you know. It's not good. Also, the other thing, too, which scares the shit out of me, is this core breaching. Yeah, you want to get into that a little bit? I, I had that bookmarked uh, for the last couple of weeks, but it just didn't fit in necessarily to what we were talking about. But go ahead, why don't you get into that, Joey? It's the third record global bleaching. Apparently, 93% of the reefs have been affected by this. It was the Great Barrier Reef, specifically yeah. in Australia, right? Which is a natural wonder, essentially, and something that takes millennia to put together. And apparently, our scientist friends come up with the number 170 times more likely because of climate change that this is happening. Oh, absolutely. I mean, do you have any explanation about what coral bleaching is specifically? I do not. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say like, and I really didn't do the research on it, but my guess is that because of the increased temperature, you are killing off X amount of, um, 
smaller life forms there. Essentially, what bleaching is, is taking the color out of something. So if there's a lot of life forms there and it's getting too warm for them to exist, they're dying and it's changing the chemical makeup or whatever of the coral reefs, which eventually will destroy them. And, and who knows if they'll ever be able to come back unless we reverse some of this climate stuff. But the, but the, the warning signs are there. That, that's the thing that's really frustrating. There's tons of warning signs with everything that we talk about. It's just a matter of who's, you know, answering the call, essentially. Um, and this is clearly one of those things. Like, wh- why are all these, uh, you know, why are all these sea life creatures disappearing and going extinct? Why are the corals being destroyed? Well, there's a clear reason. We can't just pretend that because uh, Trump actually has a quote at the end, and I don't even know if I have that quote, mm-hmm. but no, I do actually. We'll get to it later. The, if climate changes are naturally occurring and this happens all the time and we're not really affecting it, then how did the coral reefs exist to begin with? If this is a natural oscillation, then the coral reefs should be getting bleached and coming back and getting bleached and coming back. But they're not doing that. And species weren't dying over the course of a hundred years. Now they are. So clearly something has changed. And if I had to guess, it's probably the monkeys with the computers that are ruining the planet. Right. And I think that's, fair to say more what the factor is i think than the computers but yeah yeah well absolutely you get my point though you know what yes. i mean it's like a, this this industrial revolution in the modern technology is really affecting the ecosystem that we are a part of not in control of like we like to think we are um all right any final thought on that joey not really no all right let's get into this pfizer and the death penalty pfizer obviously is one of the world's biggest um, pharmaceutical companies, possibly the biggest, I'm not sure. On Friday, they blocked the use of drug, their own drugs for the use in lethal injections. This is significant because all federally approved drug makers whose drugs could be used to execute people have now been put off limits. Can't get them. Can't get them, so you can't execute people. Although... The dumb states will likely continue to try to execute people with non-FDA-approved compounds until the death penalty is officially outlawed by the Supreme Court. We've talked about this a number of times that, you know, it's a three-drug cocktail specifically to to humanely execute people. Several states, including Oklahoma, I think is the one where it goes really badly a few times, where they, you know, it takes the guy 40 minutes to die and he's suffocating and he clearly is in pain. No matter who it is, that's not how it's supposed to go. That's that is cruel and unusual punishment, which, which we have laws against. And so, it's interesting that Pfizer is coming out and making this stand against, uh, essentially against the Supreme Court uh, against the uh, death penalty. Now it is basically on the Supreme Court to eventually say, "We got to stop doing this. You have to stop experimenting on people to try to put them to death." But also places like Virginia or West Virginia, I forget, they're going to bring back the uh, the firing squads. So, mm-hmm. so like. <laughs> It, you can't win, but uh, they should really be outlawing the death penalty, in my opinion. I'll be honest with you. I think Pfizer is doing this because they know they can't make money off dead people. But mm-hmm. if the people are rotting in prison and need medication, then they're obligated to get that medication. Thus, they make a profit. Yeah, I hear you. Well, you want to hear Pfizer's statement on it? It's actually yes. a good segue into this. Pfizer makes its products to enhance and save the lives of patients Mm. we serve. Consistent with these values, Pfizer strongly objects to the use of its products as lethal injections for capital punishment. Okay, I think that's sort of where you were going with that. Yes, obviously, that is tied up in making money as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also, 
you know, it kind of goes against the ethics of medicine where you're supposed to do, I mean, I know it's, they're not doctors, but it's do no harm. Uh, well, I think killing somebody is doing harm to them. Um, unless they, you know, unless it's, a uh, to, to be humane and, and, you know, euthanize somebody who's like terminally ill. Uh, that's a, di- but this is a completely different story. I have some, re- an interesting set of polling data here that I, that I'd like to get into. Okay. At the top, though, 2015 Gallup poll, 61% of Americans support the death penalty. Okay? So still a a large majority as far as people saying, yes, in some circumstances this needs to happen. But I also have another poll, and I think this one was from 2014, So, but it's still the same idea. Why do you favor the death penalty for persons convicted of murder? This is an open-ended question. So they just got a bunch of responses from Americans. Are you interested to hear some of those responses? Yes. Because it's very telling. I mean, it's very telling about our culture and and things like that. The number one response uh, in October 2014, 35% of people polled, said an eye for an eye. They took a life and it fits the crime. Mm. An eye for an eye? Yeah. But what? God. Leaves everyone blind. Yeah, well, that's goddamn right. In what other circumstance do we say an eye for an eye? Like, if you're a convicted rapist, is the punishment being raped? No. Okay. Well, okay. Right, so why why murder? That's an eye for an eye. This is Hammurabi's fucking code. That's what we're going for in 2014 America. It's like, come on, man. Saves taxpayers money cost associated with prison that's 14 percent of people said that that's not true it's actually more expensive to keep people on death row because they have to be segregated from the general population the appeals process costs a lot of money they say you're going to be executed on thursday of cancel it we did that so it actually costs way more money to keep people on death row it's it's a much more you know um well, seg- I said segregated, right? but like a segregated area of the prison, and it requires a lot more work and legal process to, to go through that stuff. So that doesn't even make sense. They deserve it is 14%. Fine, I guess you can't argue with that, but that's the same as essentially saying an eye for an eye. Yeah, it's not a good one. No, uh, they will repeat the crime, and this will keep them from repeating it. I guess, but keeping them in jail does the same thing. You can't have them out on the streets. Nobody's saying put them out on the streets. If you're a murderer, I've said it a number of times in the show. If you're a murderer, life. If you're a rapist, life. We don't need you. We just don't. 7% of the people said that. So fine. I understand the logic, but it's illogical because they're in prison. So it doesn't matter. You know, they're not going to repeat the crime. Uh, deterrent for potential crime. Set an example. Now, that's 6%. No, but 6%. Oh, okay. But that probably is the most logical one. Yes. You know, is that actually deterrent? I don't know. We'd have to look up stats on that. But theoretically, if you know doing X equals Y and Y is really bad, dying or getting fucking punched in the head with a brick, you're not going to do that probably. As, but still, there's crimes of passion. Also, there's a lot of factors. But okay. Logically, I understand why people would say that. Um, then fair punishment, serve justice. If there's no doubt the person committed a crime, you know, it's just like a mm-hmm. line. Then it's a, Biblical reasons is 3%. Biblical reasons. These are the same people I'm sure that are supporting the death penalty because of biblical reasons. Probably hate Islamic radicals and blah, blah, blah. You're being a fucking radical. How many people is this uh, from? Like, is that... I don't know. It's just a standard poll, so whatever that is. It's probably, oh, okay. a few, you know, a thousand people a or something thousand. like that. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure that this is pretty accurate, yeah. you know. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was an interesting thing. So Pfizer, again, taking a step against being involved in the death penalty process. And now, I, you know, I, we're getting to a point where the Supreme Court is going to have to take up a case and make a ruling on this. Otherwise, we're just going to continue seeing these like horrible 
botched executions. Evan, you were saying something? Um, just to touch on what you were saying before, uh, conceding that like the death penalty is something that exists, it's kind of ridiculous that no one kind of alludes to the harm that is caused by the people actually you know, performing these penalties and stuff. So for you not to make sure that like the way you choose to kill people is the most humane way, like there's going to be like residual effects, I guess I'm saying. Uh, residual effects society, like in society, or you mean well, for the people that are actually well, acting out the, the yeah, yeah, the workforce. I mean, you mentioned that similar with something similar um, with like farming and stuff, and like how uh, what am I trying to say? How people you know treat animals poorly and stuff. Like the people who are responsible oh, sure. for that have I don't know the stats, but I know they have shittier lives, if, if you will. Right. Yeah. I mean, look in a, in the in the cosmic sense of the thing there is a i've said there was a title of one of the episodes there's a car there's a karmic price to a lot of this stuff and to we had the argument about norway and their prison system but guess what their recidivism it, it might not be the most satisfying thing in the moment but long term it's the best thing because their recidivism rate is way lower and people actually have hope and it works out better this I think is what you're kind of saying. I mean, it's doing this to satisfy the immediacy of good. Fuck that person. They hurt somebody. They should get killed. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But long term, how is this actually helping society? Is this helping society? Is this the best policy? Because when people lose and death row is a very specific thing, people that are like potentially going to be executed. But when we put people in jail, for life, no chance of uh, parole. You do take hope away from them, but it, but then that kind of goes against what I'm saying. I think if you murder somebody, you should be in jail for life. But there still should be steps to try to rehabilitate that person anyway. We shouldn't just be putting people in a box and saying, well, we're done with them, and then throwing away the key. That's not, that's, you know, and it's, it's a reflection on where the mindset of our society is and how we treat everything from animals to the environment to fellow human beings. Well, Oklahoma did have a new idea with the uh, executions. Oh, do tell. They approved nitrogen gas for executions. The gas chamber. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, t- I think we talked about no, that we too, did. right? Well, that's the thing. Until we say, yeah, we don't kill people here anymore. It's cr- it doesn't matter. Um, they're going to keep trying to come up with ways to kill people, mm-hmm. and, you know, even using the wrong drugs because why, why not? That's, that's what makes them feel good about it. But the claim is that this nitrogen gas is a lot more humane because they just go to sleep and that's the end of it. It probably is. I mean, it, it, it sounds like I've said it. The, the the firing squad sounds crazy and barbaric, but it actually is probably more humane than what they're doing with some of these horrific cocktails that they're coming up to try to kill people. Yeah, I'd rather just take a bullet into the head in the head than suffocate for 40 minutes. You know, that, that sounds terrible. But, like, who in, for example, West Virginia, you said, does a firing squad? Like, who is volunteering for that duty? Like, who wants that on their conscience? Oh, please. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want it, but I guarantee there's a number of people that are like, yeah, I'll shoot the rapist. Why not? Gotcha. You know, I mean, there, there's definitely going to be pe- I mean, there's so many things that you could do that with. Like, who's, well, whatever. But there's so, there's so many jobs that people do where you're like, who the fuck wants to do that? Well, there's somebody that's going to do it. And especially if you're in the mindset of, this is the right thing to do. You know, you can convince yourself that anything's the right thing to do under certain circumstances. So if you feel like you're bringing out justice and helping the family of the victims and all that stuff, then yeah, I mean, you can, you could sleep at night. Absolutely. Um, all right. So that, that's, that's what I got on that. Joey, final thoughts. Oh, no, <laughs> no, it's just, uh, I feel bad about, 
I, I just don't see Faisal being like this humane thing saying like this is a good thing. I, I just feel that there's an alternative motive to all this. Yeah, there might be. Uh, I'm not. I'm, that's fine. I can see that point. I'm not saying it is like, oh, good Pfizer. They're the best. They're you know they are they are what they are. They're a huge corporation that is trying to make a profit at the end of the day. But good. Okay, they made th- this move for whatever reason they're making it is potentially going to change the policy on the death penalty, which I think is a good thing. Um, and we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, that's all. This is a really interesting one that I want to get into. And Evan, you can obviously weigh on anything you want, but this is like an interesting kind of conversation that we can have. Last Thursday, thousands of French citizens took to the streets in protest of a labor bill geared towards boosting economic growth that would also make it easier to hire and fire workers. But the bill also contains a measure that wasn't being protested. Encouragement to ignore work emails after office hours. France has a 35-hour work week, and the bill would allow companies to request longer days in some circumstances. One of the protesters that was there held up a sign that said in French, obviously, but mm-hmm. the English translation was, the night is for fucking, not for working, which oh. I, I, I got to applaud France. I like that they have a 35-hour work week. I like that that's sort of their mindset. And, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up is to just, I don't know, just kind of have a conversation a little bit about work and life balance, which I think is definitely something that's out of whack in this country um, and is an issue. Um, So let's get into that in a second, but let me just read. I have Mm -hmm. two quick quotes and then we'll just like have a conversation about it. The controversial, controversial labor bill also puts the onus on managers who will have to quote, put in place mechanisms to regulate the use of digital tools with a view to ensuring that downtime and days off as well as personal and family life are respected. Sebastian Hoff, who's an occupational psychologist, says being hyperconnected makes you feel like you're constantly in a rush and stressed out. People are besieged by emails. They don't have time to work on projects. Work invades you constantly and you no longer have time to think about your holidays or junior's birthday. You can no longer think about daily life away from work, which Bernie being in the race uh, brings in the ideas of socialism. And I think people automatically connect that to Europe. You know, oh, what are we going to turn to fucking Europe? <laughs> That's what you hear people talk about. Mm-hmm. But you hear, you read a story like this, and you see that people are protesting, and they're really thinking about, man, when I go home, I don't want to work anymore. I want to hang out with my wife, fuck, watch TV, go to a late dinner, whatever. And they also cut their work weeks down. I, why is that? so terrible this whole idea this whole like protestant work ethic thing that's that's stuck in this country for so long you don't have to work constantly and actually the point is if you work less you're probably more likely to be productive because it gives you time to unwind do some global thinking and then when you actually have to go perform a task you're fresh and prepared to perform that task as opposed to work 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 work, and you're never you never get time to relax and disconnect you know I th- why is that such a bad idea because in this country you have to be productive every minute of every day and make that money yeah but that's but but again it's the whole infinite growth idea and every year we got to make a million more dollars than we made last year we're failures even if we're making a billion dollars it's still not enough like what are you talking about and also being stressed out is not going to help you perform better at your job it's just it's it's simply not so i'm fortunate working here it's like i feel like i have a nice work-life balance being here doesn't feel like work 99% of the time. It's fun. I like doing 
this stuff and I like being around the, the people I'm around. So even when I go home, if I'm doing some more work there, editing or thinking about different things, it, it's a, my life and my job are kind of intertwined in a way that I, I feel comfortable with that. I'm lucky. I understand that. I think I'd love for more people to have that type of situation. I think we're heading in that direction, potentially. At least the idea is there. People work from home. People telecommute. They do all this stuff. That's positive, I think, right? Yes. But I, I would really like to see what the numbers of that would be. What you, The numbers of what? The, the numbers of people that agree with the work-life balance. Because I'm feeling that the majority of people don't have that balance. Right. Definitely the majority don't have that balance. I would say if you polled thousand people, thousand Americans or whatever, did like a regular poll, the the vast majority are going to say, yeah, there needs to be a work-life balance and I'd like this to be the case and this to be the case. But then when you actually put people in a situation, um, they don't, they just don't believe that's possible. The reason why it's not possible is because we're not accepting that it's possible. Like it takes what that, that's, that is something why Bernie Sanders is resonating with so many people and there's a whole other percentage of people that are unrealistic, fucking liberal, this and that. Yeah, but what? What if we? If the if most of us agree that a way is the way to do it, we can actually do that thing. Don't be afraid of the idea uh, of changing to make yourself more comfortable. Why? So we are more like the rest of the civilized world. It's it, hard work, being good at your job, all that stuff. It is a virtue, but to a point, sleep deprivation is not a virtue. Never seeing your kids is not a virtue. Not having any time to have any kind of personal life or investigate the world at large and culture and 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 is an issue. News that's a huge issue because that all factors in. No matter what line of work you're in, that factors into your decision making process and your productivity. So it, it, it's all inter, in, entwined, and you can't, you know, to to sacrifice one just to be like, well, I work eighteen hours. A day. Like, okay, that's gr- if you have to fine but maybe we don't have to maybe there's a way around that um is this provision being voted on right now or has this existed it is it's been bandied about for i guess a year or something like that it's been passed around their parliament and you know it's something that could be passed soon so that that's Uh why these protests are happening and touching on what joey said what metric do you think you'd use in like a couple months or a year to test if this actually worked well i mean there's already Sweden, I think we talked about this on the show actually a while ago. Sweden ha- has already adopted like I think a four day work week. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they have certain provisions like this where people are just when they leave, that's it. You're not going to get in touch with that person until they show up the next day. And they found that productivity actually goes up and, you know, worker happiness goes up and all that stuff. It's not just happening in a vacuum. Like they're not just deciding one day to do this stuff. It's measurable. And, you know, I, I, would, pro- I would say probably five years, like if you put this in place, Five years from now, you check back and see what the difference is. But, you know, I I think it would happen pretty quickly. The problem with this is it has the no email after you leave work type of stuff in it. But then it also says, but we might have to have you work a little longer. And, you know, so. Yeah, it's a trade-off. It's a a trade-off. It's sort of a devil's bargain. So, you know, that's in there probably to, like, catch more bees with honey. But it, it could actually end up being a problem there. So they're trying to change their workforce in a way that, French citizens don't like. They want to fuck at night, not answer emails uh, <laughs> or, you know, or stay at work longer. So I, I respect that. And good. We When we see this, because I could just picture turning on, we'll, we'll close with this. I could see turning on Fox News mm-hmm. and them covering the story and being like, the fucking French are being total pussies like normal and they don't want to work and that's why we beat them in the war. It's like, 
when we see other people in the world, we should look at what they're doing, how that's affecting their day-to-day life. French people live longer than Americans on average, and they drink and smoke way more than we do. And guess what? Their stress level is way lower. They just have a healthier lifestyle and they live longer. So they've got to be doing something the right way. When you see them doing that, admire it. Don't don't ridicule them for that. It's a it's a positive. That's not a negative thing. Doesn't mean I'm saying don't have a work ethic, of course. But you can work smart instead of just being, you know, nose to the grindstone all the time and never having any opportunity to live the life you're you're supposed to be enjoying while you're here. Yeah, with that, what comes to mind is work smarter, not harder. Yeah, totally, and that, and and okay, and that's a, you know, a modern phrase. I, yes. would, I would venture to say, right? And that's good. That shows that there is a, a maybe a, a changing of the guard here a little bit. So, but the other thing too that I would like to keep in mind is the fact, just like with the mental health issue in this country, uh-huh. we don't focus enough on stress. And the effects oh. of stress whatsoever. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. Um, and I think that factors into what we were talking about last week with the marijuana thing, where people with PTSD, that's going to help um, not just physical symptoms, which it certainly does, but marijuana can be something that helps you relieve stress. It's a, it's a, the same way that somebody that has anxiety would take an anti-anxiety medication so stress is a very elusive thing kind of and how to relieve that stress. There's a million different ways to do it, but yeah, it, medicine and remedies for that are a huge deal. And that should be something that we're definitely focusing on. I completely agree with you, Joey. I, absolutely. How, how, you know, that can cause a million things. People lose their fucking hair. Look, look at the, pre- look at the president, look yes. at Obama when he took office. That's arguably the most stressful job you can have. Look at what he looked like when he took off. It looked like a fresh-faced young man. Now he looks 20 years older, gray hair, wrinkles. He looks terrible. And it's only been eight years. Yeah, and it's been eight years, but that's stress. That That is the clear example of what stress can do to a person. I totally agree. There's not a lot of value placed on the mental aspects of overwork, stress. And again, I think that I think that is sort of an aspect of a generation ago where that wasn't a focus whatsoever. And people would be like, oh, stop being a baby, you mm-hmm. know, suck it up. Well, no, we, of course there's going to be people like in any situation, they're going to try to take advantage of something or say, oh, I feel really stressed out today. Okay. But legitimately there are people that are stressed out and it's not being a baby. It's just a part of life. You know, it, 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 we're not living in caveman times. We can acknowledge that the mind impacts the body, you know, and then yeah. that's what you're talking about. So I totally agree. And then there's also a term that they came up with over in France, infobesity. I'm listening. It describes the constant overload of information being processed by employees and managers in the digital age. Oh, very interesting. What is it? Infobesity? Yeah. That might be a nice uh, title for this episode. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. And I like that you brought that up because you can learn a lot about a culture and a society by the words they have for things. Mm. Me so infobesity is not a thing that I've ever heard of. It's not something that goes on here, but there that 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 makes sense because it fits their culture. The, Quent, I, I don't. Even, I'll get into this very briefly. Quentin Tarantino, when he was writing Kill Bill, I saw him interviewed, and he was trying to explain this concept that exists in Japanese culture. Um, and I don't remember exactly how it's pronounced, but it's like Jingy or something like that. It's J I N G I, whatever it is. I can't remember, but. 
His point was there is no translation in American culture for that word. Mm. Roughly, it's like honor or you know a pride, but there's no translation. The, the, the what they've given to that word is specific to their culture, and that's exactly what you're talking about. There, you can learn a lot about about a culture just by. Oh, we don't even have, there is no American word for that. That that's their specific thing, but we can learn from that. You know what I mean? And we can try to adopt that and try to adopt that mindset. Uh, you know, based on what other what other cultures are coming up with. Yes, because every day you're bombarded with information over and over and over. This again. is this. That this is information where you're being bombarded with information right now. No. Um, yeah, it's y- y- again, it's everything Everything in moderation, including moderation. You need to find the balance of. I got some negative responses about the Kim Kardashian stuff from last week. Oh no! Yeah, shocking. Uh, but you know, it's I'm like, shocked you even brought it up. What the negative responses? Yeah. Oh well, yeah, of course. I mean, look, that's the whole point. That's why I talk to people when when we're not recording the show. Yeah, I want to hear what they have to say about it. Like, I get it. I, I did that. Completely understand that people were not going to like that. A certain percentage of people. I wanted to talk about it. It was fun. It's true. I wasn't like making any of that up. Um, but again, it's finding a balance. It's like once in a while we can talk about Kim Kardashian. Once in a <laughs> while we can talk about Kurt Schilling. Like it's okay. We can talk about Gamergate once in a while. It's just finding the balance. We talk plenty about things that quote really matter. And um, you know, you got to find that balance in every aspect of, of life. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one day and realize you, you you had your head down for 70 years and that's like, well, now it's time to have some fun. It's too late. You got it. You have to find that b- being in the moment. It's such a cliche thing, but like be here now. You're here now. Do you feel good now? Does the sun feel good on your face? Is there a nice breeze? You're hanging out with your friends. You're, you know, enjoy it now because you're going to look back and it's not going to be there. And it's not going to be there. So you have to be in the moment. The moment really is the only thing that exists. The future and the past are just they are what they are, but every passing second, this is where you are right now. So you should try to be here now. Hey, this is Joe List, and that's Mark Norman here from Tuesdays with Stories. Check out our podcast. Tell them why, Mark. You're going to love it. It's nothing but laughs, jokes, stories from the road, vagina, and that guy. Yeah, you're getting laid. We're being silly. Check it out. Find new and archived episodes of Tuesdays with Stories on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and tune in. All right, Joey, that was a pretty nice discussion I think we uh, had there about... France and the work-life balance. Pretty mm-hmm. good. Yes. You ready to get into some heavier stuff here? I'm upset at this. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I, I am too, and I think a lot of people are going to get progressively more upset about this uh, as time goes on. Because I just want to say, this is the first time the number 28 makes me shiver. Wow. Okay. Very, very cryptic. I like what you're going with there. Saudi Arabia 9-11 is what we're we're about to get into um, before we get into the, the, the actual conversation, got a quick email from my man, Chase, uh, that'll like be a nice kind of bridge into this conversation. Mm-hmm. Hey, Chris and Joey, I'm sure you've seen the news about the Senate passing a bill. Oh, and what he's about to talk about, we are going to get into, but oh, okay. we'll, we'll break it down. I'm sure you've seen the news about the Senate passing a bill, allowing 9-11 victims to sue Saudi Arabia. How does this make any sense at all? What does this tell the American public about our real intentions in the uh, in the Iraq war? The more informed obviously know the Iraq war is more of a power grab, but now the truth is out. Do you think the general public will wonder why we didn't go to war with Saudi Arabia instead? Just seeking, listen to this kid. He knows how to get on the show. Just seeking out your profound wisdom on this matter and looking forward to this week's episode, your loyal listener, Chase. Wow. A lot of buzzwords in there. He's, uh, they, I'm buzzing all over, Joey. I'm very excited. <laughs> Chase, thank you for the email. 
email. We're going to get into a conversation about this right now. So soon to be released 28 pages from the 9-11 commission report that were left out and classified by George W. Bush's administration may link Saudi officials mm. to a Southern California terrorist support network that led to the 9-11 attacks. A 2003 commission memo stated that Saudi ties to terrorism had been hindered by, quote, political, economic, or other considerations. Meaning, we don't know about those ties for those very reasons. Now, these are some names to Google before we get into this conversation. Uh, Fahad al-Tumari, T-H-U-M-A-I-R-Y, Omar al-Bayami, B-A-Y-O-U, M-I, Osama Basnan, B-A-S-N-A-N, and hijackers Nawaf al-Hazmi and Khalid al-Midar, M-I-H-D-A-R. Well, I'm shocked that you didn't bring up the princess because that's what caught my eye. Well, you could get into it in a minute if you like. Mm -hmm. Now, the people that I just named are a Saudi official, that's to marry, a Saudi expat living in San Diego is Al-Buwami, and an, the informal mayor of an Islamic community in San Diego is uh, Bazan, and then the other two are guys that were actually on the planes on 9-11. All Saudi, all ties to Saudi, and there's, you wanted to get into this princess or whatever, you want to mention something before we, we really get into it? Uh, yes, apparently they found out from the papers that there was a wife. Well, and the paper, but let's say this, the papers mm -hmm. aren't released yet. People have been seeing the papers. There's 28 of them. These 28 pages that you were referring to mm -hmm. possibly coming out in early June. Obviously we're going to stay on top of this and this is going to be a monster of a story, you know, when they actually hit, but go ahead, Joey. All right. So the princess was, was apparently she was sick and she's a wife of one of these people. Okay. And they were giving her thousands of dollars because they thought that she was going to be using it for medical expenses. Yeah. Apparently, there's a, a charitable fund that gave her about $70,000. And she, in turn, turned it over to the two Saudi men that apparently financed the hijackers to live in San Diego. Yeah. Well, that's, the, that's these two guys. Right. So... This is from John F. Lehman, who is a former Navy secretary and a Republican on the 9-11 Commission. He says, the 9-11 investigation was terminated before all the relevant leads were able to be investigated. I believe these leads should be vigorously pursued. I further believe that the relevant 28 pages from the congressional report should be released, redacting only the names of individuals and certain leads that have been proven false. This is the fascinating thing about this. The Bush administration obviously is in office during 9-11 they then are responsible for our response to 9-11 and they're responsible for setting up the commission to write the report about 9-11 and what actually happened we know for sure that the bush administration has ties to saudi arabia i mean bush i've mentioned this on the podcast before and i couldn't remember it, but i looked it up last night mm -hmm. his nickname to one of the saudi guys that's over there like this guy who is a um you know, he, he, he was an envoy from Saudi Arabia to the United States for many years, like 15, 20 years. He, they had a relationship with the Bush family. He calls George W. Bush Bandar Bush. Okay, mm. that's like his nickname for him because his name is Bandar, and that's, that's like their little joke between each other that they're that close. Also remind you, the Bush administration allowed a couple of hundred people to leave this country the day of 9-11. They, they were on a flight. Members of the Bin Laden family they let leave and people that were Saudi. That's who they let yes. head out of this country. 
what's interesting is that they decided to classify these documents being like, look, it's just political. There's nothing in there. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But this is yet again more evidence and another thing that the Bush administration did that's very questionable and interesting. It's because of their ties to Saudi Arabia. To Chase's point, why didn't we go to war with Saudi Arabia? Well, it's a simple answer. Oil. And Mm -hmm. we view them, even though they're a brutal regime that does the same shit that ISIS does, hangs people, executes people, you know, does all this terrible stuff, beheads people. Um, they're, they are a quote ally of ours. Also, it's that simple. Also, the other two that we have to keep in mind is how much money Saudi Arabia has invested in American assets. Uh, well, God, do you, you, you want to go with that? I, I can bring it up, but go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Bring it up. Well, the, in some of the articles that I've read about this, and again, this is just sort of a cursory, you know, we're going to get into this more as time goes on. I just wanted to bring it out. The, the Saudis have like, bill, I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of, of investments in this country, different bonds and things like that. And they've threatened that they're going to sell a lot of that stuff um, if this report comes out. So they're threatening us with the amount of money that they have invested into this country and the relationships that we have with them, which is, again, all the more reason to focus on getting off of oil and, and stop having these crazy relationships with you know countries that we really just have a tenuous relationship with. It's purely because of the oil. We, they, they're not really honest brokers with us in this whole thing. And why aren't they backing our different wars in the Middle East? Why can't they uh, get involved? Oh no no no! How, how, it's the same. It's just kind of the same argument with Israel. We send them money and we're involved with them, but they're not going to help us fight the wars. They're just kind of a partner in name and potentially in oil and economic uh, interests. You know? Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> well, it's a shame. I mean, what's really going to be interesting is what comes out with these twenty-eight pages. I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, I mean, I, it's going to be a bigger story. So I'm really, I'm really interested in it. But again, it's just another fucking example of the Bush administration doing something behind the scenes that, uh, you know, is not in the. It's not in our interest as a country. It's really in the interest of, of you know, private citizens and you know the royal family in fucking Saudi Arabia. I think too much time has passed, though. It's 15 years later. Well, well what, what do you mean? Well, I feel that if these pages had, like, was due out sooner, like when it actually happened, people would have a greater reaction to it than what's going to happen when they do get released now. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you're probably you're right, probably to a certain extent. Nine eleven is always going to be a thing in this country, though. That you, you know, if there's more information coming out about it, or something that's called a bombshell, you know, no pun intended, I guess, but it's like something that comes out that is a big story. Um, people are people will pay attention to it. It's also a good sensational story for the news. Like they can clearly talk about this, and it's an excuse to bash Bush probably at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, it does raise a lot of questions. Why do we have these allies that are not really our allies? If, and Chase asked the question, why didn't we go to war with Saudi Arabia? Well, because of oil, but right. If we were going to invade a country, that's the country. It like they, they clearly had a a large role in nine 11 Afghanistan. Iraq had no role in it whatsoever. Um, there's no link. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Well, the thing with Saudi Arabia, too, you have to keep in mind is from what I understand, it was low level people in the government that were even involved. So how can you blame a whole country 
for the actions of three or four people. Well, you're saying three, four people. We don't know if it's three, four people. You're also saying low level. Does what does that mean, congressman? Like, if a United States congressman was involved in like funneling money to ISIS cell in France, would we be like, well, it's just a couple of low level? No. So we don't really know what the equivalent is. Plus, it's, it's hard to compare apples and oranges to what how our government works. The Saudi government is run by the Saudi royal family. It's not a it's not a democracy over there. So having people that are even low level in that government, they're they are involved with the upper echelon people that really run the country there. So it's a completely different. I understand your point, but to say low level, who knows if it's the equivalent of like the mayor of some town, low level, fine, Mm -hmm. but a low level in the Saudi, you know, government is, is probably a pretty, at least, uh, you know, it's a pretty high up person to a certain extent. Yeah. But my point is, should that person automatically, you know, be the cause to throw a whole country into war. Well, no, I mean, I, Chase is asking the question. No, I, I don't think we should have gone to war with Saudi Arabia, but clearly we should not have gone to war with Iraq. That's so obvious. It's not even a point that I'll, you know, we don't have to argue that point. We shouldn't have gone to war in Iraq. They had nothing to do with 9-11. Afghanistan seemed like a good place to go, uh, but it turns out, obviously, Pakistan was where bin Laden actually was. The, the, the point being, the focus needed to be on Saudi Arabia. If they're our ally and we have this type of relationship with them, then it should have been no problem to weed these people out of their government and, and bring them to justice, That which is a much easier, theoretically, path to take than invading a country and then trying to rebuild it for 15 years. You know, it's, that, that's all. I know, obviously, we're not going to go to war with Saudi Arabia, but it's the same question I bring up with the terrorism stuff. Why are we invading the Middle East when clearly the people are coming out of Belgium? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it just doesn't make sense uh, l- logically. I really wonder if in those 28 pages mm-hmm. or just in general, there was more Saudis involved, but it was conveniently left out. Because it still seems hard for me to accept that only two, three people were able to fund everything and get everything put together to, f- to have that happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that because you're right. There's Like, it's not two, three people. It's if there if there is an element within the Saudi government a department or whatever that has ties to a terrorist organization that's a massive problem and it should be a huge impetus to 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 end the relationship that we have with them you're absolutely right. There's no way that it's just this isolate. Oh, it's just, it's Gary. He's a real, he loves terrorism. That fucking nut. You know, it's like, it's not going to be that it is going to be a larger group because how could you even, where, where do you think the money's coming from? It's like this side deal. Wink, wink. Like, no, 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 no. We're with the United States, but they are a hundred percent supporting terror. And that's something that you see across the middle East. Like even every country does that pretty much They're while they're working in one direction, they're also kind of quietly putting money towards, these insurgent groups that, that are quote out of their control and they can go and like create chaos ar- around the rest of the, the area. But that's, that's a sort of a standard thing that I think takes place in the middle East. And you know, we're seeing it all over. Yeah. I want to 
continue here. Now, again, okay. this is because there's not a ton about it because it's speculation. Essentially, it's just word of mouth. We're, we're going to get into it as more, you know, as the pages actually get released. The Senate uh, unanimously, this is what Chase was also talking about, passed a bill on Tuesday allowing 9-11 victims to sue Saudi Arabia for its alleged role in the attacks. Obama will likely veto that legislation if it reaches his desk. Bernie Sanders, in case you're wondering, co-sponsored this bill on April 21st. Hmm. How do you feel about the idea of suing Saudi Arabia for their role in 9-11? I don't understand the linguistics of it. Like, I understand, hey, let's do it. Let's get money from them. But from it actually happening, yeah, I don't see it. Well, and typically there are laws against the United States private citizens suing another country. You know, like yeah, because you, how would you enforce that? Yeah, there's really no way to enforce it. I mean, it's just a, it's kind of a, a gesture, I guess. I mean, I, I don't even really know, like... On what grounds would you even sue Saudi Arabia? That's more to your point, like for criminal involvement in a terroristic action. Right, but pr- but right, but how you get, but proving that that there's that that's such a, like I'm saying the same reasons that I'm saying there is probably more people involved. Proving that is going to be difficult <laughs> because I don't see Bernie Sanders co-writing something just well, as he didn't a co-write. Simple- he didn't co-write it. It's okay. completely different. We wrote it. Me and you wrote it. And then a month later, Evan read it and was like, oh, I'll put my name on that. I'll attach to that. It's the, oh, he, okay. he didn't write it. It's co-sponsoring of it. Okay, co So it's like it just putting, you know, like 20 senators or something co-sponsored it to be like, yeah, this is something that we're behind, you know. Evan, yep. were you going to say something there? Oh, uh, good, Joey. I'm sorry. Yeah, it just seems to me that it's, it would be an empty gesture then if, if he said, yeah, I sponsor this, but had no intent of actually... Of it happen. Well, he'll vote for it. I mean, this is the thing. He's a senator. He co-sponsored. I don't, we're just pointing out Bernie. I just wanted to bring that up as sort yeah. of like a, a, you know, whatever, just an aside. He co-sponsors it. If it comes to him, he'll sign, he'll vote for it. And then that's it. It's mm. up to whatever else happens. Obama has to put it into law. And then if anybody's actually going to use the provision, but it's just, you know, what? There's no real reason to say no to that. You know? Well, I was saying if the if the idea is like to, you know, if you successfully sue Saudi Arabia or get a conviction or something, is the idea then to take that up higher? Because, like, it sounds as if, like, we're kind of letting Bush pass and we're looking for, like, a concession. Oh, I mean, there's uh, – I like where, where your head is at with that, but there's zero chance that anybody from the Bush administration will face any kind of issue with this. Because to prove – you know, malice is almost impossible. And to prove negligence at this point, there, there's a, there's no willingness for people to go back and, and say, you know, you go, well, he did the best he could. I mean, they, literally we saw in how many debates his dumb brother and other people on the stage be like, my brother kept us safe. He did the best job he could. Like, Except are for you that out one of your effing mind? But people applauded that. So to to even now say like, Bush is somehow going to get inf- affected by this. That's never going to happen. Um, I mean, unless he, unless some of his money or something, some of his oil, um, you know, interests in Saudi Arabia directly contributed money to the, you know, it's going to, it's very difficult to, to implicate him in this, but good question. I mean, I just, that's no way that's going to happen. Let's wrap up with this. It's a little tangential to this thing. Alleged 9-11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is on trial in a military tribunal right now and it's been going on for quite a while his attorneys are calling on the judge to throw the case out Mm -hmm. over allegations of destruction of evidence the filing is not yet public so i don't have any like specific what actually happened there 
Um, this could affect it, affect sentencing too. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's waterboarded 183 times in one month at Guantanamo Bay. Say that again. He was waterboarded 183 times in one month. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Wow. All right. Obama or the next administration, Trump, Hillary, would have to figure out what to do with him if this case does get thrown out because he can't be retried or released because we're claiming that he's the 9-11 mastermind, even though we can't seemingly prove that right now. Uh, so what would you end up doing with him? This is the problem with not following the rule of law, this exact thing. Like, we were ordered to destroy evidence and waterboard this guy and whatever. That's the issue with then putting people on trial uh, because we didn't follow any of the rules along the way. So there actually is legal process that could that could end up putting him into this kind of extra legal limbo. And then what do, what do we do? It's, again, another fucking issue when we lose our way and don't follow the rule of law. Well, this one you can resolve very easily. I'm listening. Uh, he is not an American citizen. He is uh, a terrorist, and he can be tried again. He's an alleged terrorist. That, but see, I know, but you make the face, but that's the thing. He's alleged. We captured him. Mm-hmm. You know, we we know that he has ties to, or we believe he has ties to. Been there since 2003. Right. And then we're waterboarding, and we're trying to get information from him. But he's never ch- tried. He was never really charged with anything for a long time. Now we charged him, but this is the trial. This is to say, yes, instead of being an alleged terrorist, he's a terrorist. What happens if we we fucked with the evidence or, or something happened along the way? And again, there's another thing we're going to have to stay yeah, on top who of. Who did it? Why did it happen? Right. What actually happened? What You're if, what if it has to get thrown out? Because then the, the whole tribunal system's a fucking sham to begin with. So if we really destroyed evidence, we're like, well, it's all right. Well, then why are we even doing this? That, that, that's, the, that's the whole thing about following the rule of law. And... You know, then what do you do? You're gonna have to. You're gonna keep Guantanamo Bay open and just let him live there until he dies. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, he'd be the last one. Cause you're not gonna let him leave. No, you can't let him leave. So you're caught in this gray area. That's why you follow the fucking steps. That's why you follow the law. Because if you follow the law correctly, you. When I when I go alleged terror, he's a terror. Right, he's involved. He was involved in the thing. We know that objectively. Legally speaking, though, we haven't proven that he actually is involved. So we have to do that. And anything that would have linked him is conveniently or accidentally destroyed. Well, no, things that would... Well, yeah, we don't really know what got destroyed or how it's going to affect anything, but okay, right? But follow the steps. If we know that this guy was interacting with Bin Laden and had a lot to do with 9-11, then get him and try him and find him guilty, and then you have him forever you don't have to do any you don't have to waterboard him because it doesn't work anyway you just put him in jail and then you can work whatever kind of magic you want on this guy treat however you're going to interrogate him however you're going to try to get information out of him but then you have him but now now what now you're in a situation where you might even not even be able to convict this guy in our own courts it's crazy and and that's that's i wanted to bring it up because it's like very symptomatic of the way that, the, again, the Bush administration handled all of this stuff. It's not even just 9-11, which I contend they absolutely could have done more to stop 9-11. And it was something that was, at the very least, they could have strategized to try to stop, but they didn't bother to do that. But they fucking completely bungled brutally the reaction to 9-11. And this, is, this factors into that. It kind of feels like they screwed themselves on this. They didn't care. They didn't. They didn't. They... Well, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to get into it. Who screwed themselves? The Bush administration, you're saying? Yeah. 
Well, yeah, because they tried to change the rules on the fly. That's what happens. That's why you don't do that. You don't have laws and then wait until something happens and be like, well, those laws aren't good. No, that's why you think about it before the thing happens. You know, and then obviously there's going to be certain things that happen outside of that and you have to kind of create precedent, but they, they tried to do it all the other way around. They just, well, we're going to do this, make the law fit that. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. It's insane. All right. That's what we got about 9-11. I mean, you know, these are things obviously they're going to keep coming up. So we'll stay on top of that. 2016 update, Joey, a good one. And then we'll, uh, we'll close the show with some emails, trying some different stuff with the emails. I'm trying to find the right place to put them. I think mm-hmm. at the top of the show, like I mentioned, it's too much of 40 minutes of emails. So we'll do them at the end of the show. And you know, if, if you sent in an email, I responded to you and I told you you'd be on this episode. You sure will. So stick around at the end of the program. You can check it out. All right. Nate Silver wrote an article. Now, Nate Silver is the guy from 538.com mm-hmm. where I get all the polling information and all that stuff. Um, he's great. He wrote an article, How I Acted Like a Pundit and Screwed Up on Donald Trump. It's a very interesting article if you guys wanted to look that up. Uh, and it's broken down into five sections. I'm just going to read what the five sections are. We could talk about them for a second, but, you know, what am I going to read the article to you guys? You could if you want. I could, but we're okay. We're 55 minutes in. I'm not going to read this article. You guys should check it out, though. It's good. These are the five reasons that he believes that they got wrong about Trump becoming the nominee of the party. One, our early forecasts of Trump's nomination chances weren't based on a statistical model, which may have been most of the problem. Hmm. Okay, well, sure. Two, Trump's nomination is just one event, and that makes it hard to judge the accuracy of a probabilistic forecast, meaning there is an always an election. There is always an election in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Every four years when we elect a president, right? So there is a model in place. There's multiple different events that happen, but they happen in a very similar way. So when you run those numbers, you can go, well, this is probably what's going to happen there based on this polling Based These polls always come out with Trump. This is the first Trump. The, the Trump nomination is so out off the wall and something that's never happened before that there wasn't that type of model in place. So that could be a factor is what he's saying. The historical evidence clearly suggested that Trump was an underdog, but the sample size probably wasn't large enough to assign him quite so low a probability of winning. Mm -hmm. Okay. Trump's nomination is potentially a point in favor of polls only as opposed to fundamentals models, which we talked about. The polls plus is polling data plus endorsements plus super delegates and all that stuff. Polls only is literally just The the polls, which he's saying this could point in favor of that. There's, and the fifth thing is there's a danger in hindsight bias and in overcorrecting after an unexpected event, such as Trump's nomination. Trump's nomination is the outlier. The polls aren't bad. It just so happens that Trump is such a once in a lifetime thing that the polls just happen to get it wrong. So it's an interesting article and I think it's cool that he puts that out. And it's also interesting the way he phrases it. He's not a pundit. I mean, he is to an extent, but his bread and butter is statistics. And that's what he bases all of his opinions on for the most part. And I guess he just kind of got caught up in the uh, the punditry and the pageantry of the Trump nomination process. And, you know, he made it, he made the wrong call saying that Trump wouldn't be the nominee. But he did, if you look, get all the, the states' rights, mm-hmm. you know, the states' right for the most part, too. So I think it just bothers him that he couldn't predict Trump actually doing it, I guess. Well, yeah, it definitely bothers him, especially someone that's predicted the per, the presidential election to like a percent, you know, a tenth of a percent. Exactly. He's, he's right every time. So if he says somebody's going to win, they're going to win probably. Um, but again, it's because of the preponderance of polls that are out yeah. there. The odds of him getting the presidential election wrong are very slim. 
because there's going to be polls for a year straight in every state and you you can go based on the last you know 100 years of polling data so you, you really have an idea of how how somebody is going to fare again trump is this is a very rare event that doesn't usually happen he now has trump's odds of winning the presidency at 25 percent for what it's worth i think it should be higher than that what why based on what science Based on science. Oh, okay. You've, you've crunched the numbers. You've done some science. I've crunched the you're media pouring, attention that he's going to get. You're pouring different things into beakers and changing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. The media attention he's going to get is going to be incredible. And Haley's numbers only go down. Well, that's not really true, is it? I mean, that's what people say. I mean, we've said that a couple of times, but she won. <laughs> so her numbers are going won down. Yet. She's won the nominate. Come on, we're gonna get okay. You're so annoying, but I love you and I know you very well. So I actually have the the polls from the the primary. Oh, you gonna do that to me? Yes, because I knew you were gonna do that. Hillary has it, so it's Hillary versus Trump. We'll see. I mean, we're, we're look. We got plenty of time to talk about this thing, and we're definitely gonna talk about it. So, but anyway, so that's just an interesting thing from Nate Silver. Here's the. Let's do this. These mm-hmm. are the results from the Democratic primaries that took place uh, over the week. Kentucky primary, Bernie Sanders, 46.3% of the vote, narrowly edged out by Hillary Clinton, who got 46.8% of the vote. They both got 27 delegates. Now, Bernie lost by 0.5%. Mm-hmm. Close. He needed to win by 35 points. Yeah. Okay. Lost by 5.5, needed, 30, needed to win by 35. In Oregon, Bernie won. Bernie won 56 to 44 he took 34 delegates she took 25 he won by 12 points which is a lot but he needed to win by 40 57 yeah wow so that's my that's what i'm saying so what i take out of that obviously there's still a lot of sport out there for bernie which is good um it shows that she is a flawed candidate certainly that it's not just a slam dunk that that people in the democratic party want her um it is damaging, I think, slightly to the Democrats that Bernie is still in it. He sh- can stay in as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't bother me. He could get out. Um, he doesn't have to. And it's fine. Let it, let him keep going to the convention. Why not? But it is, you know, I've read some articles where people are like, hey, if Hillary loses, it's Bernie's fault. It's like, it's not Bernie's fault. But I do understand their argument that it is slightly damaging because it continues to make her look like not as strong a candidate. Just wait until she's paired up against Trump, though. You want to know my number one concern is? Yes. With the idea of Bernie or bust, what that actually would entail if all, if all those people who support him choose not to support Hillary. That's fine. What would end up happening? Nothing. Because he pulled in a lot of people that weren't going to vote anyway. I think it's anybody who has a Bernie or bust mentality was never a Hillary Clinton voter to begin with, in hmm. my opinion. Going into this election cycle, if you, me, right? Mm -hmm. I know that Hillary's going to run and I knew Bernie was going to run. There was a no percent chance I was going to support Hillary. None in the primary process. I got to imagine that anybody that knew that Hillary Clinton was running and didn't know that Bernie was running was always going to support Hillary. There was nothing that Bernie was going to say where they were just going to magically switch sides. So Hillary supporters are Hillary supporters. Bernie supporters are Bernie supporters, and I think that there is a percentage of Bernie supporters that 
are just Democrats to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. she's going to be fine. Uh, Believe me, she's going to get the support. But a lot of the polling is showing that Bernie head-to-head against Trump is winning by, like, 13 points. She's winning by, like, four. Hmm. Bernie probably is more of a slam. Honestly, Bernie's more of a slam dunk head-to-head against Trump. And that's going to be his argument at the convention. Yeah, they're not going to let Bernie uh, say anything. Bernie won't say anything crazy at the convention, I promise. If if Bernie's going to lose the nomination, definitely. He's going to get to the convention. He's not going to get up on stage and and say anything crazy. He'll throw his support behind Hillary. Okay. He will. I I guarantee he will. Because he's not crazy. He wants to win. He doesn't agree with her, probably on a lot of stuff. But there's no way he wants Trump over her you know so he's not gonna he won't do anything crazy i guarantee it it's just something for people to talk about Mm -hmm. i I really you know she's gonna be fine and i'd be stunned if hillary clinton didn't become the president stunned yes um all right any anything on that any any thoughts we can move on we can move on republican billionaire sheldon adelson has endorsed Donald Trump in a Washington Post op-ed and has reportedly pledged $100 million to Trump, the self-funder, during a meeting in New York last week. This would result in scaled-back support for congressional Republicans. So Adelson's $100 million pledge to Trump will affect down-ballot Republicans, which could be a problem for them holding on to Congress, which, like I've been saying... Could have been a big boon for Bernie, where people go, how's he going to get past the Republicans? What if the Republicans aren't in power? Mm-hmm. You know, the, that's always a possibility. And this is kind of a factor in that. This is Sheldon Adelson's quote. And then we can talk about um, another little policy, not a little policy, but a, a thing that Trump has put into place. It's absurd. Sheldon Adelson, while the primary cycle still has some important elections ahead, it is clear that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for president. I am endorsing Trump's bid for president and strongly encourage my fellow Republicans, especially our Republican elected officials, party loyalists, and operatives, and those who provide important financial backing to do the same. The alternative to Trump being sworn in as the nation's 45th president is frightening. That's from uh, Sheldon Adelson, a Republican sugar daddy who owns casinos in Las Vegas and Macau and is just kind of an animal and really, really supports Israel and... uh, completely supports attacking Iran and going to war in the Middle East. So that that's always something to keep in mind. So Trump's like the perfect candidate for him then, right? Well, I think I think any Republican is going to be more of the perfect candidate. Like he can't, yeah. who's he going to support otherwise? But do you, you think Cruz wouldn't be down to blow some shit up? I guarantee he would. So, mm. um, you know, that that's the influence. So we'll see what kind of impact that has. But but the, the Republican Party is clearly already coalesced around Trump. They, they'll, they'll, they're fine. So then, are these hardworking people that support Trump uh-huh. because he's a self-funder? Right. Well, he's he's not, not taking no. money from the establishment. He stands against everything about the establishment. But then someone from the establishment comes out and endorses him and he accepts the money. Isn't that going to upset any of the people that support him or is it to the point where he's just cloaked in invisibility and he's going to be fine yeah i mean it's a great it's the it's the great question we were talking a little bit before the show i i can't i'm not a trump supporter so i can't speak to it but i would assume there's a percentage of people that support trump that are you know they got sucked in with the idea that he is this sort of independent figure that can pay for his uh, i can pay for my own campaign i'm not beholden to anyone folks baby 
And then he is. He yeah, is Shadow Nadison comes in and says, here, has 100 million. I don't know. I would assume that, yes, people are going to be um, annoyed by that. Does that mean that they're going to not vote for him? I don't think so. They probably will still vote for him. Uh, Trump is running like a pretty run-of-the-mill Republican. He's got a super PAC. He's getting money from the classic Republican donors. He supports many of the same policies. His tax plan is very similar to all the other Republicans that were running. Um, so his goal is just to make it to the primary and then just yep. buckle in. The primary, pr- look, dude, the, the, uh, we say it all the time. The Republican primary process is the reason why they don't win elections because you have to go so far to the right that you can't tack back to the center and look like a normal person for the majority of the country to vote for. The interesting thing about Trump is that he didn't run the the primary the same way that like Rubio or an establishment Republican did. He ran to the left. Well, he didn't run to the left, but he ran away from the right, whichever direction you want to, you know, like Uh however you want to phrase that, but he didn't go to the left. Certainly not, but he didn't run as hard. It's very hard to explain what he did. Honestly, it's like he, he, I mean, partly he had malleable positions. He's one day he supports this thing. The next day, man, it's just a suggestion. I don't know. He, so he kind of avoided certain pitfalls in the, in the primary process. And now that he's here, he can just pretend that the primary process kind of didn't even happen. Um, to my point about him running like a regular Republican, he's not Mm -hmm. this like maverick independent character. Um, he's tapped Republican Congressman Kevin Kramer of North Dakota to write a white paper on energy policy for him. A white paper is just a policy paper, essentially. Uh, Kevin Kramer is an ardent drilling advocate and a climate skeptic. And I have a Donald Trump quote here about climate. Um, and this is what I'm talking about. I mean, does this sound like somebody that is a free thinker and kind of has different opinions than the rest of the party? And actually, we've had times where, and also, let me say this. You tell me if these are complete sentences, if this makes sense as a fucking like thing to say as a policy. And actually, we've had times where the weather wasn't working. And actually, we've had times where the weather wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. So they changed it to extreme weather and they have all different names, you know, so that it fits the bill. Well, first of all, that doesn't that's a meaningless sentence. But the problem we have, and if you look at our energy costs and all the things that we're doing to solve a problem that I don't think in any major fashion exists, that's one sentence. But the problem we have, and if you look at our energy costs and all the things that we're doing to solve a problem that I don't think any major fashion exists, period. That's not as, okay. Uh, I mean, Obama thinks it's the number one problem of the world today, and I think it's very low on the list. So I'm not a believer, and I will, unless somebody can prove something to me. I believe there's weather. That's one sentence. What did he what did he say there? He said that you could show me empirical science. That's data, not what he said. Nope. And I still would not believe it happened. Yeah, right. That's what he said. So I am not a believer, and I will, unless somebody can prove something to me, I believed there's weather. That's yes. the Republican not, first of all. Okay, he doesn't believe There's in climate weather. change. It's crazy. Uh-huh. But that sentence is gobbledygook. That's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. And no one listening who's who's like being a real human being could listen to that and go, yeah, good point. That's not as... You can't hear that and go, what? What the fuck does that mean? He ended the sentence... It means no matter what you say or show him... It's just weather. Yeah, it means nothing, but right. But yes. you're right, yes. I believe there's a change, 
And I believe it goes up and it goes down and it goes up again. And it changes depending on years and centuries. But I'm not a believer and we have much bigger problems. So that's Donald Trump, um, the independent thinker, the guy that is, you know, completely different than the establishment of the Republican Party, sounding exactly like and behaving very much like every other Republican that you've ever seen run for president. Yes. He also tweeted on November 6, 2012, the concept of global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make U.S. manufacturing non-competitive. Sure. Okay. That's on point. Listen, That's on it, message. It, his Twitter account's always on message. Uh, I mean, the message is, uh, don't vote for me. But yes, it is 100% on message. Finally, Joey, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton have started laying out his potential role in her administration. Mm -hmm. Got some quotes here. Bill Clinton. First, this is like why Bill Clinton is such a slick politician. I asked to be given the opportunity, if she gets elected, to help coal country and to help other parts of our country that never seem to go along with the, the ride when the economy comes up. I volunteered that if Hillary gets elected president, I would like to be tasked with the responsibility to take you along for the ride to America's future. He's such a fuck. The only reason he's even mentioning coal country right now is the fact that she bumbled that whole thing. Well, yeah, of course, right. Well, and, and they're, they're criticizing Obama like he's got a war on coal. Yeah, he does because it's an outdated means of energy and we should work our way away from it. But right, but she wants to win Pennsylvania. If anything, really what we need to do is we need to have a commission that comes up with jobs just to have them. And again, I know everyone argues that the government's job is not to create jobs, but that might be a solution because if you're going to be doing things to help the environment that take away jobs, we have to come up with a solution to give those people direction. Yeah, absolutely. And the, 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 the direction is alternative energy forms. Train people to, to do that, those jobs instead. Don't go get like black lung in the coals, in the coal mines. Go work on a wind farm. You know what I mean? What difference does it make? Just because your grandpappy worked on a fucking coal mine? Who cares? So what? This is Hillary Clinton's quote. My husband, I, I won't do the voice because people get it. My husband, who I'm going to put in charge of revitalizing the economy because you know he knows how to do it, and especially in places like coal country and inner cities and other parts of our country that have really been left out. So Hillary's going to make Bill an economic czar and kind of like task him to be involved in economic policy. She ruled out putting him in the cabinet, but it's an interesting. Um, you know, it's just interesting they're kind of laying that out. And she's saying, like, Bill knows how to fix the economy. Uh, I'm going to involve him. Even though everything Hillary Clinton says is pretty much gambling that her supporters are not paying attention to what her and Bill actually did over the last, you know, 20 years. But it is what it is. That'll work with a huge percentage of her uh, her base. And people that didn't even pay attention during the primary process, they hear that and they're like, sweet, two for one. You know, they'll get excited. Yeah, Bill's be back. Right. Um, all right, Joey, that's what I got. I mean, we got these two emails. Why don't we just kind of go through these quickly? I'm trying to do once in a while, you know, mm -hmm. like it's fine to do an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes, but I, I would like to try to get the show to like an hour 10, probably for the most part. We're obviously going to be over that here with some of the emails. I got to tell you guys, I love the emails and I love talking to you and I always respond to them. I'm trying to figure out what to do with the emails because I feel like they do take up a lot of time sometimes. Not that that's not, you know, uh, that they're not good points or anything like that, but Sometimes they take up a lot of time, and we we got to try to find what to do with the emails. How do you feel about randomness? I, I, well, why don't you tell me? Okay. We take a hat. We throw all the emails that you want to respond to into the hat. And we'll do one, a, one an episode or something like one that? One an episode. All right. Why don't we try doing that? 
That's fine. So you guys heard it here. The, the no, Joey came up with a good, nice idea. So that's what we're going to do. At the end of the episode, one email. Yes. If an email happens to fit in perfectly with what, you know, we're going to talk about one of the topics, it'll then, I can, then it'll be included, obviously. Um, but that's how we're going to do it. So, okay, good idea. We'll try that for a while. And we'll call it email from a hat. Ah, email from a hat. We got to get a little sound effect. That sounds good, Joey. All right. Before we get into the emails, mm-hmm. let's, do, let's do our plugs, right? Yeah. So if people want to check out or whatever, they know where to find us. You guys, you can go on iTunes. You can rate, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, that's very helpful. SoundCloud.com slash mandatory Samson. You can listen to all the episodes we've ever done on there. You can comment on the, the tracks. We respond to the last one or the one before that. And uh, we have nice conversations on there. We really enjoy it. You can also find the mandatory Samson podcast and all the podcasts on this network on Google Play as of right now. If you can't find it, you probably need to update your app and then there'll be a little podcast uh, link on the side there. You can also go on youtube.com slash mandatory Samson. I put up full episode videos every week. Again, we're in a little bit of a transition phase right now. I do put the audio only up with like a graphic and all that stuff, but there will be video up there, um, you know, in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can also email us mandatory Samson at gmail.com on Twitter. I'm at man Samp. Joey is at Joey from Jersey. Jersey is spelled with a Z. Uh, I'm man Sam on Snapchat and Instagram and Joey, you're Joey from Jersey on Snapchat. Is that yes. correct? Uh, Evan, thank you for producing the program. We appreciate it. Always. Um, all right. You ready to get into some emails here? Yep. This is from Nathaniel. He says, Hey man, Sam guys, Chris and Joey. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Been a couple of weeks late on the podcast, but just listen to your news story and discussion about the cop that accidentally shot an innocent man. He's talking about the Akai girly situation. I am currently in medical school, hence the few weeks delay on podcasts. Yeah, it's no excuse. You know, you you do your work, you, you relax, you listen to a podcast. I mean, I'll accept it, I guess, but no. <laughs> no, school comes first. <laughs> yeah, you're a fucking doctor. Uh, make it happen. Um, and I've had a few talks and discussions about death due to medical errors, which, by the way, is the third leading cause of death in the United States. Really? Uh, yeah. An interesting approach to this situation would be to say that it was an on-the-job error by the police officer, and as a form of punishment, he could be sued by the family of the victim if they find it appropriate, just like patients' families do in medicine. It's not something I would particularly endorse, but I feel like mistakes happen anywhere, yet in medicine, prison and jail time are never in the discussion. Why? Maybe because the doctor is needed out of jail. Why isn't the police officer needed out of the jail just as much? Is he, she not very valuable to our society? Keeping areas secure with a firearm are part of his job description. And he did, in fact, do over a thousand vertical uh, checks or whatever it's called. It's a vertical patrol. Um, He'd have an error rate of 0.1% or less, um, less than some doctors. Just an interesting thought. I realized this was a couple of weeks ago, but would love to hear your opinion um, on the point of view. Cheers, Nathaniel. Well, thank you for the email, Nathaniel. We appreciate it. Any thoughts on... Should cops, instead of being f- faced with jail time, should we treat um, a shooting like the Akai Gurley situation, which we've said a number of times is actually just a negligent, it's an accident. Um, should he be faced with a lawsuit instead of jail time? I, it really comes down to what I, I would think an individual case-by-case situation with that. Yeah. B- because... With that, that was just such a freak accident that I feel it would be hard to sue, but if it's more like one of the basic um, shootings that happened, the one where the cops pulled up and waited five seconds and then shot the guy. Yeah, Tamir Rice. Yeah, with Rice, absolutely you should be able to sue the cop for that. Well, 
sue the cop or you sue the city, which they did, and they got millions of dollars in the city. Th- th- that's the thing. You sue the. I understand the question. Like it's a it's a good point, but here's the difference. Doctors, it takes forever to become a doctor. You, the The process it takes to go through, the amount of work that goes into it, the years of study, the money, everything to become a doctor. Mm. When you become a doctor, you've truly earned that. In this case, and we've seen a number of cases, and I'm not saying this is true of all cops. That's not at all what I'm saying. But particularly in this case, this guy was a rookie cop. It took him a while to get on the force. Um, well, that was actually in the Tamir Rice case. But the, but this guy in the Akai Gurley case, I, I don't remember exactly, but he was young on the force. It The process to become a cop is not as stringent as it is to become a doctor. And while, yes, cops are extremely valuable, valuable to society, especially when they're doing their job by the book and doing it correctly, um, we can afford to put a cop that kills people in jail. You know, like, I think that's okay. The reason why you wouldn't put a doc and you would put a doctor that's doing something fucked, really fucked up. Um, you would put them in jail. Uh, but we accept that in medicine, there's things that are out of your control. There's a, you know, you could do all the things right and still lose a patient. Yes. So, that, that's the main difference. But this cop clearly took some wrong steps. So th- we can punish that. And, and whether we should or not, you know, t- like you're saying, is a case-by-case thing. But I don't necessarily think it's necessarily a great idea to sue a cop because the cop mi- doesn't have millions of dollars to give to the victim's family. You know what I mean? Like the city does, and they're the ones that hired him, and they're responsible for him. So I think that's the difference. It's an interesting question, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think we're going to go in that direction. Yeah. Plus, there are civil suits, you know? Yeah, that does happen. Okay. Uh, Nathaniel, thank you for the email. We appreciate it, man. Um, from Jessica, we got an email here. Hello, Chris and Joey. Oh. <laughs> you like when you're included? Yes. After listening to your last podcast, uh, which was MSP, what, 80, Joey? Mm-hmm. I had some thoughts on the gun you brought up that is only usable by the authorized user. Yes, the smart guns. My name is Jessica, and I live in Tennessee in a town I'm fairly positive you've never heard of, Jefferson City. Well, actually, I haven't heard of Jefferson City. Uh, she is. <laughs> uh, and as I'm sure you can gather, most people here are pro-gun, anti-restrictions all day, every day. Now, the issue has been uh, of even higher importance due to an incident that occurred on October 3rd, 2015 in the same county I live in. Eight-year-old Michaela Dyer was speaking with her neighbor, 11-year-old Benjamin Tiller, who asked to pet her puppy. When Michaela said no, he proceeded to go inside his parents' home, find their firearm, and shot her from inside his home. He is now in custody at a juvenile facility until he turns 19. Is that me or did that escalate quickly? That escalated very quickly. That must have been an extremely cute puppy. My thought is, could this not have been easily prevented from the simple change to a gun's design like you described? Since this has happened, obviously gun control safety had been the talk of the town, and there's even been a bill they've attempted to get passed called Michaela's Law, making it punishable... Punishable... Ah, forget it. Punishable. (laughs) Thank you. Punishable by law to keep a loaded firearm where it is accessible by children. Um, this law has since been shot down, no pun intended, because, you know, no one can restrict our guns, not even easily preventable deaths. Is the answer to this to develop a gun that has no way to be ac- accessed by anyone other than the ones authorized, or is it another thing entirely? I feel it could be a step in the right direction to have a firearm be completely unable for children to access and be harmed. And do you think realistically it will ever happen? Or do you think the states like my own who want zero restrictions placed on their guns will deter that? Love the podcast. Also love your input on Ranton and Raven. Jessica. Well, thank you, Jessica. We love you. We appreciate your um, 
support of the show, your mm-hmm. email. And uh, I love Ranton and Raven as well. Uh, Yamanique is one of my favorites. Um, and even though Chloe's not there anymore, I love Chloe too. So yeah, Ranting and Raven's great. Joey, I got to say, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the smart gun thing, I mean, we talked about it last week and I still can't really think of any reason why smart guns, obviously, if they're exactly the same as a regular gun, they work the same with, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah, that's definitely the way to go. I think, do you think it'll ever happen? Do you ever think that we'll get to a point like Jessica's saying where we can put these restrictions on guns and make them the smart guns and, and kids won't be getting killed randomly? I do. I see it happen in the next 10, like nine to 10 years. But from an event, something's going to happen that we can't plan for and it's going to call for these new smart guns. Like what? Like hypothetically, what are you talking about? Because we've seen kids murdered. We've seen everybody getting killed repeatedly. What? Why? What is going to happen in the future? That's going to that's going to make people not go. We need more guns. That's the that's the question. Evan, God, were you going to say something? There? Well, have you seen Olympus has fallen? Uh, I don't know. Is that the one with Jamie Foxx or the one with? Uh, that's Channing White House Tatum. down. They're two different okay. movies. Uh, All right, <laughs> but I've anyway, one of them, <laughs> and, it, and it's an attack on the White House. Maybe, yeah, you know, maybe that might cause it. Oh, like a white... I'm very serious, by the way. No, I I, I I, don't know. Do you think that an attack on the White House would keep, would make us go to smart guns? Maybe. Like I, don't you know. would, I, I don't know, man. I, well, Joey, I'm asking for your example, too. I just can't imagine a scenario, like an attack scenario, where Americans will go, oh, we need less guns. Or guns that less of us can use. The only thing I could think of is if there was a... Maybe if all the gangs got together. And the gangs? The gangs. Okay. Got together and said, we're going to go to war with the cops. Um, You heard it here first. Joey Noe endorsing all-out okay. gang warfare in America. From the epidemic of the heroin and everything. Okay. And you're, get- you're being a real Ben Carson right now. Yes. <laughs> you're just creating such, <laughs> such a scenario. Good. Everything gets out of control. Uh-huh. And they go... Well, there's no safety restrictions. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a trade in your gun policy. Okay. And you trade in your gun and you get a smart gun in which you as a liable file owner would be able to use the gun. Yeah. And like they'll, they'll engrave it like an iPod back in the day and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Your fingerprint would leave your access with being able no, to No, I'm saying the they'll put your initials on it or something yeah. in script or whatever. Uh, I mean... Here's what I'll say. The thing that I'll point out out of that that may- maybe makes the most sense. If it's g- the reason why gang sticks out of my head, it's like if you have gangs that are causing a problem, mm-hmm. you could rally white folk to be like, well, we got to get the guns out of their hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that might be the only way you could restrict it. But otherwise, I-, I don't know, man. I just don't see if there's it seems like such an obvious idea. It's such an easy thing to do that if the guns work the same way, but you are the only person that could shoot it. If nobody's on board with that now and there's a fight with that, I just can't imagine a scenario where, you know, it, it, would, it would come about. People just cherish the idea of the government Government can't get their hands on my gun. But the government is giving you a better gun. Yeah, they're not going to trust that. We talked about that last week. That's one of the only things I can come up with about the smart gun thing, why people would oppose it. It's that, oh, look, oh who, who created the chip? The government? Now they're going to fucking track me. It's like mm-hmm. that type of thing. So... I don't know, man. It's got to just be a, it's got to be clear. It's the same as any time uh, an industry changes. 
it has to be clear that the new product is actually better than the old product. It works as good as the old product and has some better features that you need. That's it. That's how it's going to work out. So if we can get the smart guns to work the same way as regular guns, but then also your, you know, your toddler isn't going to go kill its neighbor because it wants to pet the chihuahua, then that's going to be, uh, you know, that, that's how it'll happen. But I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of not as optimistic. I don't think that in this country we'll ever see a time when guns aren't prevalent. I just don't. It's one of the, because as long as the idea of being a strict constitutionalist and like the way our founding fathers put it out there, the gun thing is in there. And as long as people are going to keep arguing about what the actual intention of that amendment was, then I I just can't. It's the same. Are people ever going to stop being religious in this country? No, I don't think they're going to stop wanting their guns because I think it, it kind of, I think it's the same mentality that makes them want both of those things. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. That's it. Evan, you got any final thoughts on that? No, I was trying to think of scenarios where people wouldn't want the technology for smart guns. Right. I, I don't know. I can't really think about yeah, it. Yeah, difficult. Um, all right. You guys let me know if you think of anything. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We love you. We appreciate it. We're going to be back next Thursday. Uh, we're going to try the, e- what did you call it? Email and a hat? Emails from a hat. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to like throw your emails out. If we have emails, I'll just save them and we'll throw them in the hat and they'll continue to be, uh, you know, pulled out of there and we'll talk about it. And that's how we're going to do it. So anyway, we love you. We'll talk to you next week. This has been a Stand Up Labs production powered by digital media. Subscribe to new and archive episodes wherever you listen to podcasts and find all of our shows at StandUpLabs.nyc. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Yeah.